Great. Wonderful. Well, listen, um, before I um, kick into the sermon proper, just a bit more context. Um, it's a chance to sort of stir faith, really. I, I see part of my role. I go around lots of churches uh, and just, just being encouragement. We've had a lot of sucker punches, haven't we? I mean, lockdown's been miserable, and there's a lot of grim news in the world, and I think the church in this country is really on the back foot and defensive and lacking in gospel confidence. And, and so, uh, coming from a different part of the world, I just want to say to you that today, more people will come to Jesus than ever in the history of humanity. And that's encouraging, because that's not kind of our lived experience in, in Haywards Heath. By the way, it's interesting, I was born in Cuckfield, so I was born, I'm a, vaguely, I'm a local boy, at least for the first three years of my life. Um, and, but I want to encourage you, you know, God's doing incredible things throughout the world, and he is doing amazing things in this nation as well, and we need to trumpet and hear those because they will stir faith. But just, you know, the first five minutes, I'm just going to give you a bit of encouragement from, from our work out in Burundi. So my agenda is not to promote GLOW, but that is a charity we set up out there, and it is a sort of war zone. So particularly when I first went out there, it was the most dangerous country in the world. I know that because my mummy sent me through a newspaper cutting. We were number one. I don't know if she was trying to encourage me or what. But, um, you know, it, I lived expecting to die for particularly 1999 to 2003. And you might think, oh, that'd be awful. It's a brilliant way to live because you don't waste your life. You don't get overly excited about a new carpet fitting or whatever, whatever things might consume us over here. And you, you realize that people matter. Stuff doesn't matter. And you want to keep short accounts. You want to often receive forgiveness. You want to be ready to meet your maker. You, you live in technicolor. You don't, it's not, don't lead a bland existence. So, you know, and I'm not saying you are leading a bland existence, but that, there is a challenge in that when Jesus said, I have come to have life and life to the full. And many of us, we're not living life to the full. And, and, and part of that maybe is, is life choices. And, and again, living in the extremes of a war zone, it makes you live fully awake. And so I'm grateful for what Brindy gave me. And part of my DNA, so I've got some books about if you wanted afterwards. And, you know, how far is too far when Jesus went that far for us on the cross? And he went that far for us on the cross to live fully alive, which means giving our whole lives and not being half in, half out. It's very uncomfortable being half in, half out. He said, be all in. So if you want to grab that afterwards, you could. could. And then another one, which is this is, a, this is a daily devotional. So if you want a daily shot in the arm, you know, we ch- either choose to live. So, you know, some choices are very inconsequential in life. I, no one gives a flying monkey what you had on your toast for breakfast. That doesn't matter. What does matter is that this morning, did you wake up and think, I'm going to live shackled by fear, as most of the nation is, or live by faith? And our birthright is faith. And we should be living by faith. And faith is contagious. Likewise, fear is contagious. And the fact is that through lockdown, we've had two years of having our brains completely bombarded by fear and actually intentionalized uh, government policy. This isn't controversial. This is a, a reality. Is that uh, Behavioral psychologists were employed to sow fear into us because actually they wanted kind of legitimately to, to shape our behavioral patterns. Uh, the, the challenge with that, so in saying that, I'm not saying COVID wasn't serious. Hear, hear that loud and clear. But once you've had, we've had our brains rewired into this paradigm of extreme fear, it's very hard to unprogram that. And again, I want to say, you know, no, we've got different programming. We work by a different system, a faith system. And we can live free from that fear. And we can, we can live that out, and that, that can be contagious. So, you know, faith or fear, that's a big one. Urgency or apathy, that's a big one. A cynicism or action, that's a big one. So there's some really big ones. And, and that, that daily version is just choose life or death, blessings or curses. Choose life. So if you wanted, again, a daily shot in the arm, if you resonate with how I'm communicating today, then do gr- come and grab that after. Oh, that's, so that's Grace, uh, you know, from earlier on. By the way, I didn't share with the kids, but she started life throwing away back down a toilet. So literally, she was in a toilet. Uh, her mum gave birth, dumped her in the toilet. She didn't die because her neck got caught in the U-bend of the toilet. And the next person, Lou, fished her out. I mean, isn't that stunning? From the pit of a toilet, there's always hope. 
I just love that. Good old grace. Amazing grace. Um, so for the first two weeks of August, just, so this is very recent. You know, what are we now? This is six weeks ago. First two weeks of August in Burundi, we sent out 850 evangelists into the bush to do what we read about in the Bible. So they cast out demons, they healed the sick, they got beaten up, all sorts of stuff. We've done that for 17, 18 years. And in the first two weeks of August, they led 13,000, I think, 800 people to Jesus. And I get a chance to share these stories. So I sent out something just last week. Some of you might have got it on email about people, you know, literally being healed. This, I mean, this one is a, this is a witch doctor uh, burning his chance publicly, submitting to the highest power. And, you know, people don't mess with the witch doctor out there. People live under oppressive fear by, from him as a spiritual authority. And our guys showed up in the village, and he started doing his juju stuff. And then, and then one said, Mizina Yayesu, in Jesus' name. He fell down, slain by the power of God. And he sort of came to a few moments later. He said, could you come back in two days? So two days later, they showed back up. He had assembled the whole village. And at the preaching of the gospel, and him as the, you know, the head honcho spiritually, burning his chance publicly, submitting to the highest power, he, 50 people in that village, gave their lives to Christ. That's awesome, isn't it? It's slightly different from Hayward's Heath Christianity, maybe. But I want to say it's the same Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And we need to wake up to that and live in that. This is Louis. What I love about stories is that you cannot deny a story. I'm going to be, on Thursday, I'm flying back out to Burundi. I don't think I'll see Louis on this trip. But a few months ago, I was, I was in his neck of the woods, because um, I go out you know, every few months. And Louis, two years ago, was blind. He was blind. He was a beggar on the streets. His wife had died, so he was a widower. So he was, he was you know, just grim at every level. His kids had abandoned him. So a beggar on the streets. And he came on one of our outreaches, and he was prayed for. He was healed. And on the back of that, his, his parents, con- his, sorry, his kids converted, as I, th- I think you probably would. We, last Christmas, we gave him a few pigs to start a micro, you know, little business. He's now found some wrinkly old babe to get married to. He is, he is a happy chap. The gospel changes everything. It really does. It changes everything. This is, this next one, this is Elaine. You know, in the Bible, that, that lady who was bleeding and, you know, just desperate. And so she reached out through the crowd, had the courage to reach out and touch Jesus, and she was healed. Well, this is a modern-day version of that, because she'd been, her husband had left her because he couldn't have sex with her. He'd gone to take another woman, and she was desperate, and she came on our meeting, and she was prayed for, and she ran home, and she tracked him down and said, you're coming home with me, baby. And, uh, and he's come to faith through that miracle. The gospel changes everything, folks. It really does. This is innocent. Again, last, maybe last miracle, but I want to stir your faith. So this is innocent. You know, skinny rake of a man. I'll be seeing him uh, next week. And... Uh, you know, he's so skinny, not because he's unhealthy, because he prays and fasts so much. He's so hungry for God, and he has got the gift of healing. And in one instant, these, these two mute ladies came after a Sunday service, and they, you know, can you pray for us? And he, he said, he left his crew, went around the back, found a side room, and said, Lord, I am willing, I am willing to, to stay in this room for three days and just pray if you will only just release these precious ladies from their muteness. And he didn't have to pray for three days. After 10 minutes, they started speaking and crying and laughing. And he took them around the corner. And the worship team, or in their context, the church choir, was having a practice. He interrupted the church choir practice. He said, I've got you two new members. And they were like, that is a sick joke. Because they knew those two girls. He said, that's a sick joke. And he said to the ladies, girls, is there anything you want to say? And they fell to their knees weeping. You know, that's, that's our God, people. Amen, sister. And, and Lord, do it again. Do it again in our time. Do it in this nation. Do it more. But I think there's loads of contributing reasons why it's not happening in the same way here. Because we're cynical. Some of you are literally struggling to believe that. And, and God honors faith. 
Jesus saw their faith. And Berenian brothers and sisters, so full, well, not you know, generalization, but there's lots of faith in the house. There's less cynicism. There's more hunger. How much do you want of God? No one has less of God than they want. How close do you want to be to God? You will be as close to God as you want. What do you think about God? What you think about God is the most important thing about you because if you've got a twisted picture of God that he wants, to, wants you to be poor or he wants to take away your joy or he wants you to go to Africa or, or whatever, you know, just don't, just, just, he is the most wonderful heavenly father who loves all of us, who's the giver of good gifts. And if you see him, then yeah, how, how close do you want to be? You're going to, we want to be close to God. You're going to want to give him all because he's not there to take things away or to, you to not have fun and to steal your joy. He's there that you have life and life to the full. And that is on offer for everyone. And uh, is, this, is this online? Is it being shown online or not? No, this service. Are people watching it right now? I, I, I just put that on in case people, people are, uh, are not here right now. If you wanted to follow us, you could do that there. And whatever, what I say is that... Um, is that wherever I go, you've got your own missionaries already, right? And I'm not after your money, and I'm not after a recruiting drive for Burundi. Don't come, no, no one please come out to Burundi. I don't want you. Um, so <laughs> feel released in that. But what I would love is that I am still alive because people pray. I've driven along the road. 40 people have been killed. I've had a guy come to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He wrote me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. I, I, I genuinely think I am alive right now. I'm here right now because people prayed. And our guys are out there busting a gut right now. And what they do say is I'm get people to pray. So I'm going to put this thing out now. If you want to get you know, these stories, you'll be sat in whatever job you're in, and, and you suddenly you get these stories. They stir your faith, and you can pray for us. So literally, I'll just stuck one out on each side. Don't sign up if you've already got too many emails, or you're like, this guy's a weirdo, whatever. Don't sign up. But if you want to, brilliant. That's what I'll leave in a few hours, knowing that I've got more uh, people praying. And then lastly, you see this? This is a, a podcast, which I know some of you already subscribe to. And uh, all I want to say on that one is, you know, it's brilliant. Not because it's me. It's brilliant because I just get in incredible people in this country who are doing great stuff at great cost. And they've got, again, st- get off the news. There's news 24-7, bad news, bad news, bad news, fear, fear, fear. Watch the news for five years a day. Go on BBC. Five minutes is enough to know what's going on in the world and to pray. But don't just suck in negativity. And the whole point where I launched this is, is, is good news. And it's stunning news. And that's why, I mean, it's, it's gone massively big and in over 100 nations people are tuning in because we need good news. And you're hearing about God at work and it's really encouraging. So that's called Inspired if you wanted to subscribe to that. Right, that's it. That's introduction. And now we're going to look at the scriptures. And I'm sorry, but I got the wrong text. So I'll take that on the chin. I got the wrong text. So can you turn in your Bibles? It's still Luke. We're looking at Luke, aren't we, in discipleship? So can you turn to Luke chapter 9? That was my bad. I'll take it on the chin. I just must have misread the email or whatever. And, uh, but we're in the same book. We're on the same series. Don't worry about that. And uh, we're looking at a critical passage in, in, in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 9. I'm just going to read 18 onwards. Luke 9, 18 to 27. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do you say, who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and then still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about about you? He said, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. 
And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Really powerful verses there. Gary Baldi, he was the great, the great sort of Italian patriot who led Italy to unification and freedom many, many years, centuries ago. He, he said to those who would follow him, I promise you forced marches, short rations, bloody battles, imprisonment, torture, and death, but let him who loves home and fatherland follow me. Now, that's not a soft sell, is it? That's not what Liz Truss or Keir Starmer or whoever is going to trot up to woo the electorate. But Garibaldi knew that to see the liberation of his people, you couldn't come in on false terms. It was going to be too difficult. There was going to be a real cost. And Jesus, in this passage, he, he's not giving a soft sell. And his manifesto could be verse 23. If, if anyone, so we're all invited if anyone will come after me, he or she must deny self, take up cross daily, and follow me. And listen, it's crucial again, those questions I asked, there's sort of three questions, weren't there? Well, what do you think about God? Because that's the most important thing about you. So if you think he's angry, you think he's got a stick, that you think he's just waiting for you to screw up so you can lash on the guilt trip, then it's not going to be very attractive, is it, to follow him? But that's not who he is. And if you've got the right perception of, of God, then how much do you want of God? You'll have as much of God as you want. Be all in. And how close do you want to be to God? You can be as close to God as you want. And it's only our sort of sense of shame or guilt or twisted picture of him that's going to stop us from drawing. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. And the invitation is to be a disciple, not a follower. You know, we've got to, we've got to move beyond bumper stickers and slogans when God is calling us to scars. So I'm not going to give you a soft sell this morning. But all I can say is God is faithful and he's beautiful. And whatever our context, see now I'm living in Bath, by the way, so it's different. Bath is a bit like Hayward's Heath, it's nicer, by the way. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, um, but you know, it's challenging following Jesus in Bath. It's like my biggest challenge when I came back to England is like, how can I not be domesticated and tamed and settle for a respectable, dull Jesus, which is so unappealing, which is why our churches are, are thinning out in general. And that's our challenge to embody something really sort of meaty and, and, and beautiful. And I know lots of you are trying to do that. So, you know, I want to challenge us this morning, but you know, encourage us as well. You know, keep going, keep going, don't give up. We have had some sucker punches, but you've got what it takes to be who he's called you to be. And there are those that are going to say yes this morning, as there are those in general who say yes, and there are those who say no. And those who say yes will be rewarded, or the outworking will be a, 
a journey of, of adventure with all that means. Sometimes it's totally boring and sometimes it's, you take some sucker punches and it's difficult, uncertainty, risk, variety, all those things. Those who say yes, get that. And those who say no, just get the safety of existing. And I don't want you to shortchange yourself with the latter. So take up your cross. That's what Paul, so that's what Jesus is saying here. And as Chuck Swindle said, the very best proof of our love for God is obedience. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So look down at verse 18. Jesus says, you know, what, what's, the, what's the word on the street? Who do people say I am? And they answer quite a similar answer to what we'd get on the street now. Well, they wouldn't say John the Baptist, but some, some say John the Baptist. Some say one of the prophets from long ago, whatever. You know, some say, good, you know, a good moral teacher, uh, a, good, a good man. You get a whole range of answers on the street. And so you say, all right, so that's what they say. But then... Verse 20, but what about you? And this is our big question. What about you this morning? What about you? I'm looking at you. What about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers. This is the critical moment. So this, by the way, this, this event is uh, written about in all three synoptic gospels. It's the key moment in Mark 8, in Matthew 16, and in Luke 9. Because basically they're all evangelistic texts. All the gospels are, saying, are talking about Jesus, and we're formulating a picture of him, his character, his conduct, his claims. Are they consistent? He's making outrageous claims, but he is backing them up. And he's uh, so beautiful, and he's so attractive, and he's calling out hypocrisy and denouncing the religious establishment. Uh, he, he, he's, he's touching untouchables. He's, he's showing his authority in terms of walking on water and multiplying food and healing, casting out demons and healing the sick. And, you know, he's so beautiful. He's back. It's, it's consistent. Character, claims, conduct, all consistent with who, he, with who he's saying he is. But as we're building up to chapter 9, basically, we are meant to now, at this point, when Peter answers, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you were looking at this for the first time, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, okay, nine, and Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Paul, Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. At that point, we are meant to understand that's who he is. And there's further teaching for the next few chapters as well on that. So this is the critical moment that from there on in, okay, that's who Jesus is. That's how, that's how Luke's writing and, and Mark and Matthew. Now, I'm just going to ask you now, if you think Matthew got, sorry, if you think Peter, who answers, you are the Christ, you are God's Messiah, if you think he's right in, in that answer, can you put your hands up with me? Just so, uh, are, are we together on this? Not all of us. That's okay. Tell you what, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna give you a second chance to do that because what I'm gonna say is that if you put your hands up this time, you are, you are willing to embrace the implications of what it means to say that. So don't put your hands up unless you really mean it. Who believes that Peter got it right there? Jesus is the Christ. Okay, you sure? All right. Because listen, not all people live what they profess, but all people live what they believe. So you've professed it. You know, we're saying yes, but you know, are we? Or do we really believe it? You see. Uh, Jesus then comes out with the answer, doesn't he? He then says, I mean, sorry, Peter's come out with the answer, and then Jesus, it's a very sort of weird thing, isn't it? He says, all right, zip it. Don't tell anyone. Don't you think it would be the opposite? But you see, what did they, what did they want? What did, 
Peter, the disciples, what did the Jewish people want? They were shackled under oppression by an alien empire, and they wanted to kick butt Messiah, a political Messiah, to boot out the Romans, and they'd be emancipated. That was their expectation, their longing, their hope. And Jesus actually tells them to zip it, and then in verse 22, he, he comes out, he says, the Son of Man, that was a really interesting title that he assumed for, for himself, and they probably wouldn't have got it, but maybe some of them would have. But the Son of Man, the, the, the reference goes back to Daniel in the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew Scriptures, what they had. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, it talks about the Son of Man. And it's a picture of him coming in his heavenly splendor. And so and Jesus takes that glorious image, and, but he couples it, must, be, uh, must suffer, be rejected, killed, and raised. So he's saying, look, my kingdom is altogether different. It's not what you're expecting it to be. So he's trying to just modify, twist, change their expectations of who. His kingdom is so much bigger, it's so much more beautiful, it's so much longer lasting than a political empire. And and that's when we get to verse 23. His manifesto, if you like. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, not just bumper stickers and slogans, but embrace scars, then he says, if anyone, you put your hand up, so I think you're in. If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny self, take up cross daily, and follow me. And I ask myself, first one, deny myself. I mean, we're certainly not in a self-denial culture, are we? Not, am, I, am I denying myself of anything, of my, of my time, of my resources, of my gifts, of my finances, of my ambitions, of material comforts? Do I need to keep up with the Joneses, have the latest? Does my security come from my position, from my staff? Am I surrendering my desires for a, a, a life partner? You know, I mean, it's just, again, trusting God. And this is, I think, uh, Oswald Chambers said, is God going to help himself to me, or am I so taken up with what I want to make of my life? And that's a very apposite question in our self-absorption. We are a narcissistic age. I'm not, that's not saying that we are, but it, it's that worship song, isn't it? The, it's all about me. And that's, not, that's not the words. The song says, it's all about you, Jesus, and all this is for you, for your glory and your faith. And there's one, one guy in the congregation, and he just got the pronouns wrong, personal pronouns. He's like, it's all about me, Jesus, and all this is for me, for my glory. I'm, he's the only honest guy in the house, isn't he? Because that is, that is our heart, naturally. And... Um, my favorite worship song, which I could have suggested for us to have a closing song, but people don't tend to know it very well. But so, I mean, Matt Redman wrote it, so he's a famous bloke. Do you, know the song show, do you know the song, Show Me the Way of the Cross, once again? It goes like this. Show me the way of the cross once again, denying myself for the love that I've gained. Everything's changed now. Everything's you. It's time you had my whole life. You can have it all. I've given like a beggar, but lived like the rich. I've crafted myself a more comfortable cross. But what I'm called to is deeper than this. It's time you had my whole life, Jesus, have it all. So I resolve to give it all. Some things must die, some things must live. Not what can I gain, but what can I give? If much is required when much is received, then you can have my whole life, Jesus, have it all. There was a young lady at uh, UCL uh, in London University, and as, as part of her course, her degree, she had to do this uh, first aid type module to fulfill the course requirements. 
And she arrived week by week. Just, she was a, a lecturer's nightmare because she was so bored. She was disruptive. She was obnoxious. She made it painfully obvious she had zero interest in what was going on. But on about week five, she came in and she was turbocharged. Lectures, what has happened to her? And, and he could see that she was itching to share something. So, so uh, you know, at the appropriate moment, he said, yeah, yeah, what, 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 do you want to share something? And she said, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I was in the street a couple of days ago, and there was this massive car crash, and there were, the bodies were flown out of the car, and there was blood everywhere, and I, I, I felt really sick. I thought I was going to throw up, and I didn't know what to do. And then, and then, I, then I remembered what I learned at this course, and I, and I stuck my head between my legs, and I didn't faint. And she, she completely missed it. You know, she, she was on that course. It was to equip her to save lives. Oh, the sermon didn't do much for me this week. The worship was a, didn't, didn't hit the spot for me. Do you know, we come with those sort of you know what I'm saying? It's not about us. It's about him. If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny self. Next one. Take up cross daily. This is, this is hard to apply in this, in this culture and context. I mean, there's, there's 300 plus million Christians across the world who this verse is a daily reality and, and in 40 plus countries, 50 plus, I think, Open Doors do a list of all those countries where it's really costly to say Jesus is Lord and taking it across does mean losing your job, being kicked out of your family, people in prison being tortured right now for their faith. It's very much more widespread if you want to go to northern Nigeria right now, which is where the most martyrs in the world each year currently are going through because of uh, Boko Haram. Or, you know, I've got friends working in Afghanistan right now under the Taliban. Well, Yemen, I mean, you can go through the countries. Eritrea, uh, there's, there's lots of real dark stuff going on. And that's not our context. And, well, what we can do is we can pray for those guys. You can really engage. I'd love you to sign up the likes of Open Doors or Barnabas Funds or... Release International, there's, there's groups who are ministering into those places and, and for us to engage. And that's one, that's one of the ways I keep myself sharper as well is realizing, you know, did I use my freedom this week to share Jesus? I, a friend of mine came out of China. His name was also Simon. And we were going for a walk and we were processing his experience. He'd been there for three years uh, on that stint. And it was almost like a confessional that he shared with me, although he didn't need to. But he said, Simon, every day in China, I do something to get myself arrested i.e., I tell someone about Jesus. And he says, I've been back four days in England and I haven't done anything arrestable. And it's almost like he's like, you know, I'm on a mission out there. I'm very focused. I'm living with a sense of urgency and I've been back four days. Now I'm like, Simon, give yourself a break. You know, it's just, you, you, you just need a rest, right? But I'm like, have you guys done anything arrestable in the last month? In, what, in the right way, do you know what I'm saying? And are we using that freedom Again, I think we're on the back foot. We're lacking gospel confidence. Could you just pull up that? Maybe it's, I can just do it here. Is there a picture? Yeah, look at that. That's something. By the way, if you've got your phones uh, and you want to get a, um, an app, it's called Jesus at the Door, and that'll be on your phone. And if you want to learn how to share your faith, those of you who signed up, I'll send you through a, a one-hour training I've done. I think most of us, we're scared. We don't know how to share our faith. And um, this is the best thing I found in the Western world. 
you know, it's Jesus at the door of your heart. You, you, I get chatting to someone on a park bench. I've led someone on a park bench. You're watching Cricket Match of the Lord or two, two last week. Um, um, all sorts of, you know, and Dr. Sergi just hanging out. Um, I'm a chiropractor last week as he was cracking me. I said, have you seen this picture before? <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it, it, like, if we believe this stuff, we're going to want to share it. And, and so Jesus at the door, literally, in uh, Apple Store, whatever it is, and you download that, and you get that picture, and there's a little blurb on how to share it. It's not a gimmick or anything like that. But it's just a visual picture. It's, it's so clear. But you just, you just say to someone, have you ever seen that picture before, and do you pray? And, you know, if they're not interested in the conversation, they'll say, no, uh, and I'm not interested. And do you know what? That's fine. Because if you take the picture of an analogy of someone walking through the ap- an apple orchard and shaking the tree, and if the fruit's ripe, it falls. And if it's not ripe, don't yank it. It's not ripe. And that, that, that illustration, that picture is so liberating. But you, there are people who are ripe, who are lost and desperate. And so, as I said, two, two last week, I had a chance to, two people. But look, that's Jesus knocking at the door of your heart, John. And look, look what the handle is. It's on the inside. So only you, only you can open it. He's not going to barge his way in. And there's a very simple pattern that you're not a slave to, but it ex- explains the gospel in a very concise way. And, uh, you know, 4% of followers of Jesus, I'm guessing you'd be a fool, 4% have ever led someone to the Lord themselves, which means 90% of, 96% of us haven't. Don't feel bad about that, but surely, you know, we want to. If we've experienced the grace of God, we want to share that. And so, literally, I will send you through. I'm willing to train you in this uh, so that we're off the back foot. And it's so beautiful seeing people come to know Jesus. That's a plug for that, Jesus at the door. And if you signed up and just email me, I'll send you a one-hour Zoom we did on it. And it's so energizing for your own faith, you know, when you've had the chance to, to share it. Whether people are interested or not, if, if they're not interested, you leave it. If they're interested, you know, all the time. I'd, I'd say five out of ten people I talk to, they let me pray on the spot with them at the end of a three-minute conversation. Because once you're not a weirdo, you know, and you're respecting their space and you're listening and you're polite, then people, people, people know there's, there's, there's more and oh, they're struggling. So you could do that. Do something arrestable in the right way this month, will you? A single woman was off to China. This is looking at verse 24. And she was leaving everything, and she was asked, aren't you afraid? And she said, I'm afraid of only one thing, that I should become a grain of wheat not willing to die. I find that challenging. And yet, as a friend of mine wrote, Paul uh, Vaughan Roberts, he wrote in Distinctives, he said, you know, we in general, we're more concerned with happiness and holiness, with security than souls. We rather, we seek to be served rather than to serve. We want a church that makes us feel good rather than one which challenges us. So often we opt for a religion that costs us little. Sacrifice is not a word that's often on our lips. We stress, we stress our rights, not our responsibilities. Our freedom in Christ rather than our debt to Christ. Our security rather than our sacrifice. You know, I mean, lots of guys have inspired me in my journey, but I think of those 18th century. Um, in this case, it was men, although I find women in general are much more hardcore on this and willing to suffer, and there's, there's twice as many women out in really grim environments, be it NGO culture or, or missionaries, who are willing to just go for it. So, but in th- this example, it is of men. You know, the Archbishop of Sierra Leone, when he set sail, probably from Southampton, um, he, would set sail this, he would set sail with his belongings packed in his coffin knowing that when he reached Sierra Leone, he had a life expectancy of 18 months. That's hardcore, isn't it? 
Those guys seriously educated, knowing their Greek and Hebrew could have had a nice vicarage. But no, this is worth living and dying for. And what have we made our discipleship? I mean, I, I find that challenging for myself. So verse 24, what benefit is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And what I just don't want any of us here is for us to get to the end of our lives, and some are nearer the end of our lives than others. But you sat there in a nice house, in a recliner, with loads of stuff and a shriveled soul, and think, I just missed it. I just missed it. I played it safe. That's not a compelling life vision, is it? So this morning just could be, and you never see me, some of you are hating me as I'm speaking, but you know, it's like, you never see me again, it doesn't matter, it's like, either, is, is this faithful to the voice of God or not? And, you know, hear the heartbeat of God, he loves you, he wants what's best for you. And he's saying, what's it look like in this, in this, in this culture to take up my cross daily? And you know what, I think things are heating up for the body of Christ in this nation. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's, there's not a gentle, we've had a bit of a lovely blip because the queen was so authentic in her own faith. There's like a, a grace opening right now. That where it's not, it's not uncool to be a, a, a Christian because she, she was, and that's our challenge, isn't it? To likewise be authentic and embody the, 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 those, those kingdom values. But in general, there's a very militant, you know, cultural Marxism dictating the agenda of where we're headed in this nation. And, and it's not okay to have our own opinions. You know, you must have the correct opinion on whatever hot-button hot issue. And there's a fundamentally deeply illiberal, supposed liberalism going on. And if we're going to be consistent and loving in terms of uh, how we live out our faith, we will definitely uh, face more and more suffering for it. So I think we just need to be ready for that. But not living in fear. Again, choosing faith. Look, I'm going over time, so last one. Deny self, take out cross daily, and follow me. And, you know, these are questions. I've asked lots of questions, but, you know, I, I sometimes ask myself, am I really following Jesus? And this isn't false, you know, false humility or whatever. I was trying to, it's like, sometimes, am I, am I following Jesus or am I expecting him to follow me? On my terms. Me setting the parameters of the relationship. When I need him, calling on him, otherwise, don't cramp my style. You know, I think that's, that's really challenging, isn't it? And, you know, Peter gets it right in verse... Um, 21, he gets it right. You are the Christ. He gets the right answer. But clearly, as we unpack what he thought and his ensuing behaviors, he didn't get it. He didn't yet get it. And so, Peter, big-hearted, big-mouthed, you know, speak before thinking. He, what I love about Peter is that he did royally screw up, didn't he? But, and I've royally screwed up. Anyone else? Uh, good. Not alone. Um, but, you know, there's grace, and we can get back up. And, uh, and he, 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 his spectacular screw-up, wasn't he? Was it, everyone else might leave you, but I'll be there with you to the end. And Jesus like, you know, within a few hours, dude, you're going to disown me three times for the cockroach. And that's what happens. And so he goes back to his fishing net, a broken man. He's let the side down. And then Jesus, in, in John 21, at the end of John's gospel, it's beautiful, isn't it? He comes alongside him, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you, do, you, do you love me? I mean, Peter's now a bit more humble. I do. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. 
says it again. He says it three times, doesn't he? Probably three times to correct the three times that he was disowned. Do you really, do you get it now, Simon? It's all grace. It's all grace, but it's going to be costly. Are you up for this? Haywood Seat Baptist Church, are we up for this? Do you really love me? Yeah, Lord, you know my heart. You know my heart. I'm screwed up. I'm fickle. I've got my issues. I'm broken. I believe in you. You've got what it takes to be who I've called it to be. Feed my sheep. I thought I'd die in an ambush. Um, that was the most likely way in terms of driving long roads, other people getting killed. And in one ambush, there's this guy, Henry, and he got, <laughs> they sort of blew, sprayed bullets across uh, the, bu- the, the bus as it went past, and a bunch of people were killed. But he wasn't killed, but he did have a bullet that went through his face. Smashed, shattered his face. But he, he survived, and he got sponsorship through an NGO for multiple plastic reconstructive surgeries on his mouth. Uh, but he still can't speak. But you can do a lot of talking with your eyes, can't you? You're communicating. And his eyes sparkle and shine. Because he can't speak, he's given a pen and piece of paper, and he scribbled this. God never promised us an easy journey, just a safe arrival. And brothers and sisters, precious brothers and sisters, please hear it from the right heart. Some of you, I mean, I've just come from a weekend, 25 years on, reunion, literally, it's been fabulous. But, you know, as I process, you know, we were 20-somethings 25 years ago. We were all on fire. We drove a truck from Wales to Kenya. We had crazy experiences in, in 15 countries. It was wild. And 25 years later, meeting up, listening to the, the war wounds in those 25 years, the brokenness, the five out of the 12 of us going through horrible divorces, two still in, honestly, can I say crappy marriages, you know, just really... It's, life's tough, isn't it? Kids, you know, with long-term damage through making bad choices on drugs, you know, all sorts of abuse. But life is tough, and, and we're no different. We're not exempt, we're not immune. So if you're going through a hell of a time, hang on in there. You are so precious. He loves you. He didn't say it was going to be easy. John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. But don't settle for less than the best he's got for you. If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny self, take up cross daily and follow me. And this is Oswald Chambers. He says this, if you have to calculate what you are willing to give up for Jesus, then never say that you love him. Jesus Christ asks us to give up the best we've got to him, our right to ourselves. I'll just read that again. And then we'll pray. If you have to calculate what you're willing to give up for Jesus Christ, never say that you love him. Jesus Christ asks us to give up the best we've got to him, our right to ourselves. And they're doing it in China at huge costs. And the Burundi, not persecuted, but suffering, huge costs. And myriad other places, and in this nation, and in Haywards Heath, or Cuckfield, or Burgess Hill, wherever you come from this morning. Keep going. He loves you. You've got what it takes to be who's called you to be. Not bumper stickers, not slogans, scars. And I want to pray a blessing on you right now. Why don't we stand?
And do you guys want to come up, the worship team? And we're going to, we're going to sing this song of response. It's got lovely words. But, you know, you don't have to do this, but body, body language says a lot, isn't it? Why, why don't you just, you know, if you want, why don't you open your hands to God right now? Again, you know, I'm not telling you to do this, but body posture says a lot. It's surrender. Lord, you see my open hands. It was um, St. Augustine many years ago. He said, God gives where he finds empty hands. And Lord, as I look at my hands right now, it's just a p- position of, of surrender, of humility, of submission, of openness. And I want to meet with you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're feeling condemned, that's not the spirit of Christ. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I've miscommunicated. But no, not con- 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 conviction is good. Things need to change. We want to ramp things up. I'm hungry for more of you. I want to see your kingdom come. I long to see colleagues, friends, family members experience the grace that I have. May your kingdom come. I'm not saying I'm any better than anyone else. I'm just better off because I've been forgiven. And there's no more shame or guilt. I'm living free. I know where I'm going. I know how precious I am in God's sight. These are our birthrights. So, Lord, I pray for those of us that are living shackled by fear. And I want to break the chains of fear in Jesus' name. May we be faith-filled. I want to break the shame, break the condemnation. Lord, you want a pure bride. Search, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So as we sing in response, Lord God, highlight stuff in our lives that need ad- needs addressing, our idols in our life, what we're holding on to, what are our genuine gods as opposed to really trusting in you. That could be money. That could be destructive habits on the internet. That could be all sorts of different stuff. That could be a relationship that's not life-giving. Lord, what do you want to address in me today so that I can leave commissioned and free and empowered to be who you called me to be? Come to Jesus right now. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome to do your work in our spirits, deep calling to deep. So do business with God. We're not creating hyped-up emotions of now, but in this worship song of response, Bring it all to God. If anyone, the offer is for everyone, anyone, come, come after me. Not me following him, him following, whatever. He, must, he or she must deny self, take our cross daily and follow me. Lord, I choose afresh today to follow you. Come, Holy Spirit, let's press on in and worship right now.